If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Welcome to episode 327 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we, let's see, we started with this uh, ABA story. What do you think? Is it, it turns out to be a big deal, turns nope. out not to be a big deal? I don't think deal. it's a big deal, but we can... Ben thinks it's not a big deal. We don't really know. Basically, uh, the GRE is going to probably be accepted at all law schools, or at least the ABA has said you can use the GRE for admissions at all law schools, but we don't think it's going to really affect law school admissions that much. At least that's our, uh, snap opinion. Yeah. We'll uh, revise that in a year when we see what actually has happened. We have a whole bunch of emails from listeners. We did a paradox question in logical reasoning. Anything else you want to talk about or should we just dive right in? Let's do it. The show will air on Monday, December 6th. Uh, upcoming dates of interest. We have uh, Wednesday, December 29th is the deadline for the registration for the February LSAT. Uh, the week of January 15th is the actual January uh, LSAT. So December 29th is the next thing that you need to be worrying about if you're making your decision whether to uh, register for February or not. And basically the way, the only way to make that decision is are your practice scores close to what you want on an official LSAT? Yep. If you're within single digits, then okay, maybe register. If you're not within single digits, then don't register. And, and I don't see really any reason to make that decision until closer to the deadline, but Anyway, uh, come to my January 2021 LSAT study group. Whether you're taking the test in January or February or March or April or whenever, um, I teach a class on Thursday nights from uh, at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. And uh, I ask the students to commit to doing a little bit every day. Uh, one hour a day, high quality one hour a day can work wonders on the LSAT. And so... It's a group of people who are there to kind of have some camaraderie and encourage each other to study. And then you can also ask me whatever questions you want to ask me about the LSAT and law school admissions. So again, uh, that's a free thing. All you need is a demon free account and it's uh, Thursdays, four Pacific, seven Eastern. Hope to see you there. All right. On to the show. First thing on our agenda today is this uh, story from Above the Law. It has a headline, The LSAT's Monopoly on Law School Admissions is Officially Over. Okay. <laughs> Subtitle, The GRE Has the American Bar Association's Blessing. Hmm. This is by Catherine Rubino. Uh, she's one of the co-hosts of their Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast, okay. which I sometimes listen to. Um, it says, the law school admissions game is officially shaken up! Exclamation point. In recent years, there's been slow but steady movement of law schools announcing they'd accept the GRE as part of the admissions process in lieu of the LSAT. Only problem with that is the American Bar Association was silent on whether that was okay, blah, blah, blah. In ABA council meeting notes, the following was announced. In closed session, the council permitted 
voted to permit law schools to accept GRE test scores from applicants in lieu of an LSAT score under standard 503, which requires them to use an admissions test of some sort, but it doesn't specify what test. Um, let's see. This has been going on for a while. About a third of ABA accredited law schools already accept the GRE. This does seem to me to give some stamp of approval on the GRE for sure. admissions uh, for all schools to start accepting the GRE for admissions. Yeah. Uh, we have no idea how this will affect the actual state of law school admissions. The GRE so far hasn't really affected anything. It doesn't seem like, I mean, it's, it's been a blessing for people who have a really good GRE on record. Yeah. Um, if you have a really good GRE on record, then okay, it saves you from having to prep for another test, which makes perfect sense. Sure. Um, do you think people will actually start taking the GRE as an alternative to the LSAT? I don't think so. I think given the fact that the GRE has a big math <laughs> section and a yeah. lot of people are going to law school because they don't like math, they're going to gravitate toward the LSAT. And so you have both sides of the equation. You have what do law what are law schools willing to accept as a test? Okay. They've already been willing to accept the GRE on some level. Now it's a little more official, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, do people want to submit it? And a lot of people who are killing it on the GRE are probably interested in other types of schools anyway. So how many of them are actually going to end up going to law school? I think you just still don't look as serious about law school when you apply with a GRE and not an LSAT. Yeah. I want to know whether the GRE scores will start to be published on the ABA 509 reports. I mean, until they are, then we're going to have LSAT ranges uh, for every school for LSAT, just, just LSATs, but yep. not, not GRE. And yeah. so it's, and I mean, I, we just know how f closely attuned schools are to those percentiles on their 509s. Like they, they live and die. Their, their law school ranking goes up and down based on those percentile rankings, um, from their 509. So, you know, unless this starts becoming like public, published data that us news actually uses when it ranks law schools i have a hard time seeing how this makes too much of a difference to the law school landscape i think it's nothing but good news really for people who you know they had wanted to go do some other field and they took the gre and they did really well on it now if you can just use that score conveniently for your law school application too then great yeah. But I, I can't imagine, like, if I think about our students, would our students do better if there were math on the test? I don't think so. On average, I really don't think so. Yeah. I guess I, to me, you know, I, I think for people who are cut out to like really kill it as lawyers, well, they could probably kill it at anything, I guess. But the GRE just seems harder to compete because it has math. Yeah. Like I just, I, 
I don't, you're competing with people who are like naturally really good at math and have just been acing math on everything they've ever done for their whole life. And now they're going and, into a math <laughs> yeah, master's well, and now they're, program. Right, or they're applying to a PhD in, you know, biochem. Yeah. And they are going to kill the, the science-y part, the math part of the GRE. And I just can't imagine the typical law school applicant wanting to play that game. Um, it's weird because it does open up the pool of applicants to law schools dramatically, right? The number of people who take the GRE and therefore can apply to law school, uh, this swings open the doors and says, look, we're, or at least it allows schools to <laughs> accept applications for so many, from so many more people. So in some ways I could see this boosting the number of applications they get at the same time, you're allowing people to take a test that can get them into different types of schools. So the end result of this may be actually people take the GRE because they're on the fence about law school and now they apply to law schools, they don't love the offers they get and they go into a totally different program. So you, oddly, you may end up losing people because by locking them into the LSAT, once they take it, yeah. it's like you're kind of committed to going to law school. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's nothing but good. That's nothing but good for the <laughs> nothing people who but make good that decision for, for students. It's if it's you bad kill the GRE and you could go into some other technical field, great. Like that is you're gonna. That's a good decision. I think it's probably better for you and better for the world. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay. Anything else about this story from uh, the ABA? Nope. Could turn out to be gigantic news. You know, yesterday people were talking on the internet, were talking about how it's like huge, whatever, earth shattering. Yeah. Uh, but is it going to actually change anything? I don't know. I mean, I would guess that probably every school will start accepting the GRE for some applicants. Mm -hmm. But I still bet that a tiny fraction of the people who end up going to law school are going to have gone through the GRE route instead of the LSAT route. That's my wild speculation. Sure. Want to read this email from uh, Andrea? Yeah. Dear Ben and Nathan, thank you so much for the great advice you gave on the podcast. Oh, that you give on the podcast each day. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, maybe she's referring to the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. Either one. I have a question about the importance of put on part-time versus full-time school attendance. I am the first person in my immediate family to go to college and took classes at a community college spread over 10 years while working full-time before finally acquiring my associate's degree. Most of that time was working a sales job in the wine industry while working towards a wine marketing degree. Since I had a good job, I didn't feel the need to rush the education. At some point along the way, I saw a job posting for an administrative position, probably on LinkedIn, that asked the applicant's attendance dates for their college degree rather than just the graduation date. Okay. I just started at University of Arizona online to get my bachelor's degree, and I'm taking a half load to get back in the swing of school and be sure, to get, and be sure I get perfect grades for merit scholarships for law school. Do law schools put any significance on the amount of time it takes to get a degree? Do law firms? Okay, law firms, <laughs> definitely no. Um, they do not care about your undergrad at all. And I would say, which is something that I'm just taking from you, Nathan, all the time, <laughs> does the 509 report indicate 
the average length of time that their applicants spent in undergrad. Yeah. Does U.S. <laughs> News have any way of knowing how long you were in undergrad? Yep. No. The answer is no. And so no one cares. Why would they? Yep. Uh, yeah. It, it just, it, I see no way that it can affect law school rankings. Therefore, I see no way that it can affect law school admissions. Yep. It's like uh, they're trying to create a great basketball team. You're six feet, five inches tall. They don't ask how long it took you to get there. <laughs> yeah. Have you always been six foot five? <laughs> we want people that were born six foot five. Uh, yeah. I don't think you have anything to worry about, Andrea. I really, or Andrea, whichever. I, I really don't. Um, I really love that you're now that you're going back to school you're going part-time with a, or you're taking a half load to make mm. sure that you get perfect grades. Yeah. That matters. That that's going to affect your merit scholarships. Yeah. yeah your GPA is going to show up on your, it's the only thing that matters is really, I mean, I, I now of course some schools are going to take into account. Yeah. Yeah. You went to one of these, you know, fancy liberal arts schools that has like really tough grading or whatever. Fine. There, those schools do exist. And the schools will take that into account. But most people didn't. Most people went to just like giant American universities or schools that have the typical grading systems. And the vast majority of students fit that description. So it's like just, yeah, what's the LSAC adjusted GPA going to look like? And if you fill up your transcript with A's, then your LSAC adjusted GPA is going to be closer to a 4.0. And that's the number that they ultimately end up reporting to the American Bar Association on the 509. And that's the only information that U.S. News has when it makes its law school rankings. And so, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm oversimplifying, but it sure seems like that's the system. Well, even if it's an oversimplification, we're talking about 98% of, right. the, of the decision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy being 98% correct on this. Yeah. I just, I think as a default, you could just have a default presumption that if it doesn't show up on the 509, it probably doesn't matter for law school admissions. And you know, that, by the way, that also goes for your personal statement, your letters of recommendation, everything else. It's like, it, I think it's just highly driven by LSAT and GPA. Yep. Uh, despite what they will tell you, they will, they will definitely tell you the opposite of that. And of course there are exceptions, uh, people who get in, you know, with less than, uh, with numbers that you're like, what, how the hell did you do get into that school? Sure. There are a few people sneaking in through exceptions. And, um, and the, you know, your personal statement and what you, what kind of job you had and the letters you got can make a difference when your numbers are the same as someone else that they're considering. But that's yeah. after At Yale and Harvard yep. and Stanford, where they have a mountain of 170 pluses and 3.9s. At that point, then everything matters. Yeah. But like your local law school, you know, even if it's some school with pretensions of national prestige, they're ranked 25th in the country or whatever. At that school, they don't have a mountain of 3.9s and 170s to choose from. And so, you know, it's just all else is not equal at that point. So they're going to not really care as much about your 
all of your other rest of your application as they're going to care about your LSAT and GPA because that's what moves the needle on their law school rankings. Yep. Okay. Uh, we have an email here from Dante. It says, hey, Nathan. I guess this came to me personally. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk to you, Ben, about mm. gamification. Okay. So we're looking for ways to make the LSAT demon even more fun than it already is. And uh, specifically, we're going to try to gamify the platform. So we have some ideas about how to do that, Ben, with leaderboards and whatnot. Uh, I want to try to gamify our live classes. And I know you've already started talking to your class about gamification and I've been talking to my classes. But anyway, here's a email from Dante. Okay. Says, um, you talked about sharing ideas on gamifying the LSAT on this week's episode, but didn't want to do gold coins or anything like that. Yeah, because the gold coins to me, every app's trying to give me gold coins and I, <laughs> I just it seems so stupid. I, I, I'm not motivated to get those gold coins. Yep. Um, I was thinking, this is Dante's suggestion. I was thinking you could make it so we get a certain number of LSAT points when we accomplish things. Like the tutorial could be worth 120 points total or something. And then we just add a point here or there for timed sections, etc. Granted, that only gives you 60 points to deal out. But you could do level 1 until 180 and then start over for level 2 or something. This way, maybe we'll all worry about our fake LSAT score rather than worrying so much about our actual test scores. Thanks for your hard work making this test easy for all of us. <laughs> Okay, that's Dante. I, Thank you, Dante. I appreciate the idea. I, I have this mild anticipation, fear that we're going to start getting those emails. I I have a uh, I have a one seventy two on my point scale, <laughs> yeah, and right. I'm only scoring one forty seven. Yeah, um, that's a it's a it's a thoughtful suggestion, Dante. Thank you. Um, uh, what I really wanted to do was talk to you, Ben, about yeah. uh, how, I, I don't know, any, if you've had any cool ideas lately for how we might be able to gamify. I know you've been giving away free LSAT Demon swag in your classes for people doing things that you want them to do. Yeah. But uh, anything else? How about the leaderboards? We doing that? Yeah, we are doing that, actually. Um, I just submitted the concept to our designer. So the way this whole process works is our designer comes up with the mock-ups uh, we go back and forth on those a little while till we feel good about them. This is a pretty easy thing, though, so it should be quick. And then I send it over to the developers. They make it happen. We test it as a team, and then we roll it out in the next update. And the first one we're thinking is a drilling accuracy leaderboard. That's correct. So Minimum of, what, 10 questions? Yeah, something like that. Otherwise, you get a bunch of like, oh, I got 100% accuracy on one question. One question, <laughs> yeah. No, you do have to do a minimum of... 10 let's say and yep. then it'll post a, a leaderboard what yeah. do we what do we decide about usernames well i think right now the plan is first name and la, first initial of last name first name and initial for a last name yep so what if ben there's two o. john smiths they'll just have to <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> the real John Smith and the, okay. the real John well, Smith step forward. Yeah. So if you get 100% correct on, say, 15 questions and your friend John Smith, is that what you said, gets uh-huh. um, 100% correct on 17 questions, that would be quite a feat, by the way, in the drilling tool because the drilling tool is trying to give you questions right above your skill level. So right. this is not going to be an easy leaderboard to no. dominate. But um, if you do that, John Smith would get a little bit higher on the leaderboard because he had 100% on more questions. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. The mm-hmm. more and, and so if you have two people at 100% at the top of the leaderboard, yep. then they can be fighting it out by doing one more question each to try to get <laughs> above each other until one of them tragically misses one. They're like, yeah, I've been, uh, I've done 24 questions over the last 24 hours. I did one question an hour and I maintained 100% accuracy. <laughs> I'm just sitting there <laughs> white knuckled. <laughs> well, the classes that I suggest, I mean, I talked to my classes about yeah. it and they seemed like they would be motivated by these leaderboards. So I thought yeah. that, that was, I thought that that was a pretty cool thing. Have you thought of any uh, good, what were you giving out swag for in class? I, I want to know what you, what you did in person. Well, I initially started the idea of like, I don't know what it was. I, I think I, I wanted, I had a specific idea as to what I would give it out for. And then I ended up forgetting uh, about giving out the swag and Kevin would like remind me, but, um, it actually, I think turned out better because when we had these like, whoa moments where someone just like said something amazing, be like, Oh, you know what? I need a reason to give out swag. You should have it. Um, and then last night or no, what was it? A few nights ago, um, one student just couldn't stop talking about how another student had helped her so much to understand that question. Jesse is like, has just totally cleared this up for me, yada, yada, yada. So we're like, okay, well, Jesse, I guess you get better get a free <laughs> shirt or something. And he cool. took it. Yeah. Cool. I'll come to class and get free shit. Well, come to Ben's <laughs> class and get free shit anyway. Um, I haven't started doing that yet. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. What did you say? Just pick an item from the store? Yeah. Or? Pick an I gave him the URL, which is lsat.link forward slash merch. I said, pick something and let us know. We'll send it to you for free. I'm going to look at that right now. lsat.link forward slash merch. Yep. Oh. Yeah, onesies. <laughs> oh, all kinds of shit. There was onesies. Yeah, there's a baby onesie. <laughs> that must have been for Rebecca. <laughs> you could slap the demon logo on your child. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Beanies and hoodies and all kinds of bullshit. Water bottles, yeah. Coffee mugs. Mugs always make me laugh. My sister is a school teacher. Yeah. And she comes home every Christmas with like eight coffee mugs oh like wow every everyone single gives them Christmas. to her yeah yes everybody i'll give you a tip right now if you have kids in school and you want to get a gift for your teacher coffee mugs are not it coffee <laughs> mugs are a terrible gift for a teacher because they get way too many of them hmm. so do not give coffee mugs to school teachers please all right um anything else about gamification no, uh, but if you guys have ideas, please email the show at helpandthinkingelset.com. We, uh, we want to do it in a thoughtful way. Um, we're definitely brainstorming ideas over here, though. Some of them won't be noticed. 
we're just going to implement them and it's going to make you want to do the demon more. Perfect. I like your use of noticed there. That was an interesting use of that word. Hmm. You didn't mean that the users won't notice them. You meant that we won't give notice. Mm. We'll just do them. Yep. I like that. All right. Um, ready for, well, uh, Oh, I put this on the agenda. It's uh, Tyler sent in a screenshot from his Spotify app yeah. with his, uh, you know, year, the wrapped thing that they send out to everybody. Um, so Tyler's top podcast for 2020 or 2021 um, is thinking LSAT. Tyler listened to 73 episodes for a total of 4,580 minutes. Okay. So what is that? 76 hours. 76 hours. 73 episodes for 76 hours. Uh, good job, Tyler. You are currently the leader um, for most minutes submitted uh, for any of these Spotify <laughs> wrapped. But if you can beat 4,580, uh, I would love to see it. So send it in to help at thinkinglsat.com. By the way, and, uh, we, we really yeah. do appreciate everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this stupid show. Yes. <laughs> I was looking to the, at this thing on Spotify and they were like, tell, I think Haley had sent it to us, right? It's like, oh, all your stats yeah. for the year. And they it, Spotify said that we had been in 15 countries and then it said we had been in 42 countries. So I was actually confused why we had those two different numbers. But... Um, I am curious. Do you think people listen to this in 42 countries? I remember from looking at the, we used Blueberry back oh, in the day. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. I remember looking at Blueberry and seeing that there were, um, yeah, 40-something, 50-something countries that we hmm. were uh, listened to. I mean, but it would be like one or two downloads. Yeah. Not not anything crazy. One soul. <laughs> yeah. The vast majority of our listeners are in the United States and then second place by far is Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's because the LSAT is mostly a U.S. and Canadian thing. Yep. All right. Uh, we have an email here from Carly. Why don't you go ahead and read it? Sure. Good afternoon, Ben and Nathan. I'm a first generation student, so I have quite a few questions. For background, I'm 22 years old and a full-time undergraduate student at the University of Florida. I take my courses online. She is studying geology. Additionally, I work full-time as a paralegal. UF is the best college in Florida by far. I did not get in my first time applying, but it was the only school I was interested in attending. I received my AA from a state college and transferred over to UF. At the state college, I withdrew from a good amount of courses. Six. I had no idea that this would be on my transcript. I also had no idea that withdrawing from courses was a bad thing. Will law schools care about that? Also, how will my GPA be calculated by law schools? Will they look at my state college GPA and my University of Florida GPA separately? Will they be averaged? My state college GPA was a 3.4. Yikes. That's what she said. I didn't say that. <laughs> and I believe my UF GPA by the time I graduate will be around a 3.5. 
she's got more, but want to yeah. tackle some uh, of those. Yeah, there's a lot of questions in there. I I mean, so first, I will law schools care about these dropped classes? All that really matters is whether or not they affect your calculated LSAC GPA. Yeah, you're going to have to sign up for a credential assembly service account. Yep. Through LSAC. And that's Law School Admission Council, LSAC.org. You're going to have to sign up for a credential assembly service account. Then you're going to have to have all your transcripts uploaded. That is your state college and UF transcripts. Those are all going to get uploaded. And then LSAC is going to calculate one number for you. Mm -hmm. That's your LSAC adjusted GPA. And it depends. It seems like it depends on how schools. Actually, we should know that. What what do they do? What does LSAC do on withdraw withdrawals? I'm guessing are just going to be totally ignored. I'm but, assuming. Well, what it can depends. You, what does can you she derive mean, from them? Yeah. Did she withdraw during the class? Like, did she withdraw right before the final? That's not good. That might be a fail, right? But yeah. I don't think we know. I wish we had, you know what, listener, can you please email help at thinkinglsat.com and educate us on this? Because if there's an easy answer to like, what do they do about withdrawals when they calculate the LSAC GPA? I wish we knew that. But I feel like we don't know that right now. Um, all I know is that it's not up to you and it's not up to the law schools and it's not up to your undergraduate institution. It's up to the law school admission council when they calculate your LSAC adjusted GPA. Yep. I do think that they are going to consider your state college GPA and your um, GPA at UF. So I think your 3.4 and your 3.5 are going to be average. But again, you'll figure out exactly what that ends up being once you create this account. We get these questions a lot and it's like, uh, in some ways it's 10 times easier just to go ahead and create that LSAC account and put in the numbers and see what they yeah. give you to be clear. It's not going to be a simple average of the two GPAs. No. It's going to be a weighted weighted. Average. Average. It's going to be a, it's depending be on your, your GPA as if you didn't go to multiple schools. It's just going to exactly. be like, here's all the classes that count and here's what your GPA is. So no schools are not going to see two GPA numbers. Schools are going to see one GPA number and they are not calculating that that's coming from the law school admission council. Um, get as many A's as you can. The one thing that we've heard about people doing recently is getting bad grades redacted from their records before submitting their transcripts to LSAC or even after submitting their transcripts to LSAC, then getting new transcripts submitted to LSAC to wipe out those old transcripts that they had submitted. If you, for example, forgot to withdraw from a class and got an F, then retook the class and got an A. If you go back to your undergraduate institution and beg them, you might get them to just like wipe that old grade from your transcript entirely. And that's good because the thing people don't really understand is that at some schools, if you retake a class, only the new higher grade counts. But LSAC doesn't do that. LSAC, if you, if you took a class, got a D, 
took it again, got a B. LSAC's going to count both of those. So your LSAC GPA can be different from your transcript GPA, but your transcript GPA doesn't matter at all for law school admissions. The only thing that matters is your LSAC GPA. So do what you can do to make sure that you're providing LSAC with clean transcripts. And that might include making some phone calls, sending some emails, going and visiting your campus, crying. <laughs> but if you can get old grades removed, old bad grades, if you can get those removed from your transcripts, you can actually increase your LSAC GPA. Yeah, good point. Okay. Um, that's a new thing. I mean, I hadn't heard of people doing that until just recently. But now that I know that people do that, you know, what lawyer wouldn't do that? Yep. <laughs> like it's easy like oh you can explain the facts you have or you can take the facts and make them better <laughs> what do you want to do yeah one of the most important classes that you will take in law school is called evidence mm -hmm. that class is essentially all about getting things taken out of court like yep. just inadmissible oh, mm -hmm. my guy murdered 10 school children yeah, that's bad. Uh, I would like that not to get admitted into our case where he's currently being prosecuted for whatever. <laughs> like, I don't want the jury to hear about him murdering 10 school children. And can I get that excluded from this matter? Yeah. Um, that's a big part of what lawyers do. And you can do that right now. You can start hassling your undergraduate school to get stuff taken off of your transcripts. Um, yeah. Okay. Those can be very valuable hoops to jump through. Like you might have to do a bunch of work, like paperwork and phone calls and whatever. But if, it, if you can succeed, you can actually increase your LSAC GPA. And that's like really, really good. Also get a taste of what it's like to be a lawyer. So yeah, if you absolutely hate it. Maybe it's not for you. Yeah, if that's the type of thing you don't like doing, then I just don't think you're going to like lawyering. You know, like people, I, I, I hear from people like, oh, I don't want it, all these applications. I mean, they're asking me all these supplementary questions and I just got to do all these. It's such a hassle. Like, yeah, okay. That's like what lawyers largely do. I mean, you, I, I can't imagine that's not a good sign for you being a successful it's just not what you think it is it's not what tv shows yeah. <laughs> like lawyers do a lot of really tedious grinding okay i was just talking to somebody the other day and they said it was yesterday actually they said oh what do you do and i said oh, i hope people get ready for the lsat which is the law school admission test because most people have no clue what i'm talking about right and he's like oh he's like you you didn't want to be a lawyer or something like that and i said yeah i didn't i didn't or i told him i didn't want to go to to practice law he goes oh yeah you'd be spending your all your days in court i'm like <laughs> maybe <laughs> no probably not <laughs> if i was a public defender yeah yeah but that's not what or you know or or a da then yeah, yeah. but like i know most other than criminal lawyers, most lawyers have no court experience whatsoever. Nope. It's all in their office, writing and writing and writing. <laughs> By themselves, doing solitary work. Yep. Yeah. We got a bad review, Ben. Did you see the one that was like, why are these guys so hard on law school and lawyers or whatever? 
Oh no. <laughs> Can you tone it down? And I was like, well, I'm just telling the truth. I, that's just, it's the truth as I see it. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to sell a dream of like lawyers are happy and it's a good career that you'll make a lot of money in. Yep. I, I just don't believe that to be true. I mean, I know some happy lawyers. Most of them don't make as much money as you think lawyers make. And a lot of what they do is just like super tedious and miserable. And I went to law school, hated it. Ben went to law school. I'm not sure if you hated law school, but you decided you didn't, didn't want like, to practice law. I didn't law. like law school. No, it was a pain to get through my all that reading. It's a bunch of super yeah. grindy, tedious, solitary hoop jumping. I hate jumping through hoops. It's not a thing I want to do with my life. And it seems to me that that's what lawyers mostly do. Yep. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to stop saying that. Like, I'm sorry that you didn't like our free podcast, but um, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest. Yep. All. Okay. So Carly, Carly uh, continues. Yep. She says, I understand that a geology degree may seem an odd degree for a prospective law student to earn but I intend to practice environmental law. So I believe a scientific background will serve me in my future career. How will my major be interpreted by admissions councils? I, I think it will help you stand out. Most people are like criminal justice or English or history um, or political something or other or philosophy. You're like, hey, I'm a technical person. They don't have a lot of technical people in law school, but they need them. So it doesn't seem like a bad thing to me. I don't think it'll help that much, but I don't think it's bad. Right. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, does it show up on the ABA 509 report? No, it doesn't. So probably doesn't matter that much. But if it matters at all, it's a feather in your cap for sure. They're going to see that. They're going to go, wow, BS, you know, technical degree. Which tend to be harder than... (laughs) Oh, of course they tend to be harder. Yeah. And... So, yeah, like they, they're going to, that's, that's a good thing only. Yep. I asked this question because I could earn a much higher GPA in an easier major. Yep. You're acknowledging what we just said. If you, yeah. If you're sure that like you're only going to go to law school and that's it. Like if law school is the thing for you, no matter what, take the easiest possible major and the easiest possible classes and get a 4.0. Yep. But I just question whether people should actually be that sure that law is what they want to do when they're still undergrads. I mean, I would, that's not my actual advice. My actual advice is follow your passions, whatever it is that you're really excited about. That's what you should be studying. If you have the ability to do technical work, you should probably be studying technical shit. Um, but yeah, like if you know for sure that law school is the thing, then Drop all your hard classes and just take easy ones. I like this next sentence. <laughs> okay. I know all my degree, all degrees are difficult, but in my... No, they're not. Bullshit. <laughs> they're, that's just a lie. They're not. They're okay, not. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead. But in my objective opinion, a 3.5 in a science field is far more difficult to achieve than a 3.5 in, say, communications. Sorry, comm majors. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you're um, you're right. So... Object. That's an objective opinion. <laughs> I I don't know why she said that. I think that's a subjective opinion. Yep. I, I think aren't all opinions subjective? I think 
by definition, yeah. by definition, opinions are subjective. Objective yeah. is facts. Yeah. Now you, but you know, you can have an opinion based on objective facts, and the those facts are like the av- like if you the average GPA in a science field is probably way lower than the average GPA in communications. Mm-hmm. That's an objective like truth, and so then you could form a subjective opinion, which <laughs> is yeah, science majors are harder. <laughs> As I previously stated, I work full-time as a paralegal at a law firm. Do you think this will help me be a competitive applicant? Wow, Carly really is firing off. What'd she say? She said she's new, huh? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, she said she's a first generation, so she has quite a few questions. I, Man, I wish I would have asked all these questions before I went to law school. I'm also first generation. Hmm. What do you think? Paralegal, is that going to help her admissions case? No. I, I think the only thing that does, and we've said this before, is it helps you know whether or not or not know, but have a better sense of whether you should be going into this crazy field. If you're not wanting to stick pencils in your eye, eyes after work every day, then maybe you know you could yeah. work it as an attorney. But in terms of your application, so many other applicants are going to be paralegals. So I don't think it helps you stand out. At the same time, I mean, I think law schools, or if I were reading your application and you were talking about your work as a paralegal, I might be like, okay, you know what you're getting yourself into, so I don't have to worry about you of course. failing out, right? So it's not bad, but it's not great either. It's just normal. Yeah, it's it doesn't show up on your 509, so it or on their 509. U.S. News has no idea that you were a paralegal. Yep. So since it doesn't affect rankings, it probably doesn't really affect admissions decisions that much. Um, but to the extent that it matters at all, it's going to be a, yeah, slight positive. Yeah. She continues. I'm also a member of multiple honors societies. Okay. I don't hold any leadership positions. So will law schools care that I'm a member? Like same answer. Same. It, it doesn't show up on the rankings. It's, it's not on the 509s. It's not in the rankings. Probably doesn't matter that much. But it's not bad. It's, you know. We got more questions. UF was recently ranked top five among, pu- among public universities in the nation. UF Online is ranked three for online programs. Obviously, the top five ranking is more impressive. Uh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Will me being an online student hurt me as opposed to being an in-person student? Carly, they don't care about any of this stuff to the extent that you are thinking about it. Um, I'm getting the feeling of like someone who's going into a negotiation and like hyper sensitive to things that the other party has no clue clue about is like completely unaware of. And like how how many law schools are even going to know that UF was recently ranked top five among public, public universities. They might. Ben and I are professionals in law school admissions LSAT and law school that's like all we do all day every day is think about law school applications and LSAT stuff and neither of us had any fucking clue that UF is a top five I would have named a hundred other schools before I ever got to UF yep so I don't think anybody knows that UF is a allegedly top three public top five public university in the country I don't according to who uh, and 
You need to anyway. let this is all creating stress, I imagine. You gotta let this yeah. stuff all go and focus solely on your GPA and your yeah. LSAT. Yeah. That's what I it to me, it's all like she's she's like wish casting around she's hoping that all these things are gonna be what really makes the law school decision. And instead it's like, but you know, she's got a kind of mediocre GPA, not that it's bad, but it's like, okay, probably because her major is too hard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's hurting you like the difficulty of the major and having only a 3.5 is hurting you. A 4.0 in communications would be a hell of a lot better than a 3.5 in geology. Sad to say that shouldn't be true, but I think it is. Yeah. She continues, I have not officially taken the LSAT yet, but I have taken practiced LSATs and performed quite well, so I'm not too worried about earning an impressive score. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, we've talked a lot about all these different things. I know a lot of details about you. You're in the online program. I know what ranking that program got recently. Um, I know you're a paralegal. I know what GPA you had from a state college and all this stuff, but I don't know what your practice LSAT scores are. Yeah, she doesn't tell <laughs> the, the one... two LSAT professionals that she's emailing. She doesn't tell them her practice LSAT scores. The only the one thing we actually would like to know. Yeah, I've. She says she's performed quite well, but that is just totally subjective. You want to some talk about people, objective versus subjective? Yeah. <laughs> you get some people, people who, think yeah. that one fifty is performing quite well. Yep. Other people think that 150 is terrible. Yep. And so what is the actual number? Where are you at? I mean, you need Carly to go to the to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships and put in your most recent practice LSAT score and a 3.4 or a 3.5 or whatever you think the average of all of your grades is going to turn out to be. And then see what kinds of offers you're likely to get at what kinds of schools. And notice that your major the name of the school you attended, full-time versus part-time, withdrawals, online versus in-person. None of that shit is included. It's just like LSAT, GPA, boom, and it's really accurate. So I think that kind of answers all of your questions in one fell swoop. It's like they're making the decisions primarily on LSAT and GPA. Otherwise, our admit our scholarship calculator would not be accurate. Yeah. Not to say that it's a perfect predictor, but it's like what we've heard. People give us feedback on it and they're like, yeah, nailed it. So. Yeah, she has this last paragraph. I hope to receive admissions to top schools and really am hoping to have a scholarship to have scholarship offers. I'm doing my best to make myself as competitive of an applicant as possible. Any insight on additional things I should be doing would be greatly appreciated. When I see that additional, I'm like, actually, Carly, you need to be doing less. This is a clear case yeah. where less is more and you're spreading yourself too thin. You're thinking, I, I could even see you trying to join yet another honor society or become the president right. of one of those honor society where you really should be taking official practice tests, sections, drilling in the demon, uh, if you're a demon subscriber. And Take the LSAT multiple times. Make sure that you get your highest possible official score on record. Yep. Get straight A's. 
and then apply at the beginning of the admission cycle. Yeah, do those two things. Have some friends so you can keep yourself sane and happy <laughs> and then get the best LSAT score you can get and get the highest grades you can get on the classes you have left. You do those three things, you're going to increase your chances the most. Yeah, yeah look for things to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm also a member of multiple honors societies. Okay, do you actually have to go to meetings for those? Or if they're boring, if you're not like having fun at those, why are you wasting your time? Like study more for the LSAT and for your classes. Yep. Like you need the best LSAT and the best grades you can possibly get. That's the game. There you go. Thanks, Carly. All right, we've got a logical reasoning question in front of us. Okay. You're going to read it and I'm going to do it. Sounds good. This is test 73, section two, question 24. It's a logical reasoning question. Here it goes. A survey of a city's concert goers found that almost all of them were dissatisfied with the local concert hall. I'm not sure exactly what almost all means, but I would assume that it's 90% ish. So, you know, it's like kind of rounds to basically everybody. Yep. Uh, so folks, they still go to concerts. So they like it enough. <laughs> A survey of the con of the city's concert goers. Okay. Don't know if it surveyed every concert goer in the city, but you know, I'm, I think I'm willing to grant there that like, Oh, that looks pretty bad for this local concert hall. People who go to concerts in this town don't like the concert hall. Yep. A large majority of them expressed a strong preference for wider seats and better acoustics. Okay. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't want more room to stretch out and certainly better acoustics if you're there listening to a concert. So those are just specific complaints that they're making about the existing local concert hall that they already have said that they are dissatisfied with. Yep. Okay. And... Even though the survey respondents were told that the existing concert hall cannot feasibly be modified to provide these features, most of them opposed the idea of tearing down the existing structure and replacing it with a concert hall with, a, with wider seats and better acoustics. Okay, so it seems like a bit of a paradox. Um, yep. We've got, you know, they don't like it. They have specific complaints the existing concert hall can't be modified to fix those issues. Yeah. Nonetheless, most of them don't want to tear down the existing structure and replace it with a better concert hall. Okay. So, yeah. So it's probably a paradox question, right? Probably so. And I'm already kind of trying to guess why they don't want it tearing down, torn down. Yeah. I mean, and I like, I'm a, a baseball guy and I've been to Wrigley Field and I've been to Fenway Park and, you know, like everybody, the, the seats at Fenway and Wrigley mm -hmm. suck. The sight lines suck. The bathrooms are terrible. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is gross. <laughs> Nonetheless, if someone says we need to tear down Wrigley to build a new modern stadium with wider seats and better sight lines and cleaner bathrooms or whatever, you'd have a riot. Yeah. Like it, people like, no, because there's nostalgia and there's history and, you know, people, it's like, sure, they're going to bitch about it, 
but they also are going to continue to go to games there forever until they die. I mean, these are concert goers, right? They're going. <laughs> yeah, these people are going to the concerts and they're, oh, well, I don't want to. So my, yeah, my first prediction here would be nostalgia for the place, even though they want to bitch about it. Yep. That's just okay. life, right? That's just human nature. We all like totally. complain about what the situation is or the answer that is yep. correct. <laughs> yep. But it's fine. The question says, which one find if true most helps to explain the apparent conflict in the concert goers views as revealed by the survey? So it is a paradox question. Almost always I predict that question just from the argument. Yeah. You, run, a, you walk away feeling perplexed, right? Yeah. It's a good sign that I'm reading the passage <laughs> properly. If I predict, you know, I shouldn't be surprised like what conflict Mm -hmm. there was a conflict in the concert goers views. I mean, if, if that's your reaction to that question, then you didn't read the passage well enough. There's clearly a conflict in their views. So, yeah. All right. So heading before we look at any of the answers, I'm looking for the one that if true is going to make me feel better, like just basically resolve the curiosity, right? It's like, the passage sets me up with a, I have a little itch. Like what? Why? What? Huh? It's like I have an itch. Yeah. And then the correct answer should scratch that itch. The, scra the correct answer should provide me some relief. Like, oh, I see. That makes sense. They can complain about this, but they still don't want it torn down because some reason that makes, that just makes it make sense. Yeah. I have a tendency to narrow in on that itch by asking myself, why? And I just, it's like I reframe the passage into a why question. Why, why don't they want it torn down even though they hate it? Yeah. Why X, even mm. though Z, well, I can't say mm. why. Yeah. Why <laughs> A, even though B. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Answer choice A. Before any of the survey questions were asked, the respondents were informed that the survey was sponsored by a group that advocates replacing the existing concert hall. Well, then don't care. Like, because they, on the survey, they gave conflicting information even on the survey, right? So yeah. if it was like, oh, they were biased because they didn't want to make these people happy. Like, they hated these people who advocate replacing the existing concert hall. Well, then why did they lie to them about dissatisfaction and not liking... Why didn't they lie to them about yeah. like they 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 told like, these people no I don't want you to replace the concert hall but then they also complained about the existing concert hall they wouldn't do that yeah they wouldn't do that if they were trying to like fuck with the the people giving them the survey yeah okay B most of the people who live in the vicinity of the existing concert hall do not want it to be torn down just irrelevant. I mean, are these even the people who are filling out this survey? We have no I'm idea. Asked, yeah, I'm asked to explain the con the conflict in concert goers' views. Yep. And the people who live in this vicinity, maybe they go to the concerts, but maybe they're just a totally different group of people. And and again, even if they are the same people, it still doesn't explain why they're bitching about the features of the old place, but don't want to replace it with a newer, better place. Yeah. It's confusing. Okay. It doesn't help. doesn't satisfy the itch. C, the city's construction industry will receive more economic benefit from the... I would stop there. <laughs> I, like, I, I'm not, I don't care. Like, yep. bias of various parties, I don't 
I just don't really see how that's going to explain the survey, this the respondents' weird preferences. Yeah, the concert goers are concerned about the construction industry's economic benefits. No. D. All, a well-publicized plan is being considered by the city government that would convert the existing concert hall into a public auditorium and build a new concert hall nearby. That's an explanation. Like, people are bitching about the existing concert hall. Yep. Uh, the seats are too narrow. The acoustics aren't that good. Oh, well, do you want to tear it down and replace it? No, no, because didn't you see in the paper that the city government is going to convert the existing concert hall into a public auditorium and then build a new concert hall nearby. So why, why would, would we, we want this to down? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do we, right. We want to tear it down and build it, uh, build a new concert hall right here. While meanwhile, the city council is also going to build one across the street. Yeah. Why would we need two concert halls? That's a good way of looking at it. Yep. That's that's a f satisfying explanation to me. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the answer. E, many popular singers and musicians who currently do not hold concerts in the city would begin to hold concerts if there was if a new concert hall were built. Um then why don't they want to build the new concert hall? This makes it worse, right? Doesn't yeah, that makes the paradox worse. Okay. A B C are all irrelevant. E makes the paradox worse. That's four obviously bad answers d is a satisfying explanation it's not the only explanation we could have come up with a million other explanations it doesn't match our prediction our prediction was nostalgia for the old concert hall yeah but you you, you don't it's not when you make predictions on a paradox question it's not about exactly predicting the answer it's about predicting the type of thing that would give a satisfying explanation. So even though D is a different explanation, it's still a satisfying explanation. It's like, oh, if that were true, if there really were a well-publicized plan and city council is going to convert this one into something else and build a new one across the street, well, then I don't want to tear this one down if it's going to be used as a public auditorium. Um, so that's a satisfying explanation, and that's the answer. Cool. Oh, by the way, a little bit of a short episode today because we haven't been getting that many emails. It's kind of like a quiet time of year. So if you would like to get yourself uh, on an agenda and be LSAT famous, you can uh, email help at thinkinglsat.com uh, and hear your email on a uh, episode airing soon. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. We're up over 100 episodes now already, Ben, of that show. Um, and it comes out five days a week, first thing in the morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Look for LSAT Demon Daily. Yeah. That was episode 327 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.